The scripture reading this morning is taken from Psalm 30. I will, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought, me, you brought up my soul from Sheol. Restore me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes in the, with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you have established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. All right, our last psalm of the wintry psalms that we've been looking at, Psalm 30. Mourning into dancing, so it ends in a way that you, we don't really think of it as a wintry psalm of disorientation, but it's, uh, it is one of those. So we begin with the picture of the wagon wheel. <clears throat> so that's a wintry picture. This week, apparently, it's going to be quite mild, and then the week after that, it's going to go into deep freeze. Wow, down to minus 6, minus 8. Maybe we'll get a bit of snow in there somewhere, and it'll look like this. But the wagon wheel is a symbol, or it can be used as a symbol for life. So the wagon wheel turns, and our life turns. And so here, if we look at the spokes of this wheel going up, well, that could be the time of good times, times of blessing, times on top, times of mourning, I mean of joy, as this psalm ends with, rejoicing. Then the wheel starts going, goes to the side, move from the psalms of orientation, maybe towards the psalms of disorientation, and then to the very bottom. So we are all on that wheel somewhere, so that's, that's the idea, the wheel of life. And we can feel like we are at the right top, right up there. Maybe we're in the middle somewhere. Maybe we're down at the bottom. The wagon wheel, where are you in that? And so this psalm begins with Praise it moves to a time of confession in the middle and then praise again. So it's a very simple structure. So it begins with praise at the top and then the wheel swings down to the bottom then it goes back up. That's the idea. So where are we? All right. 
I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. I was looking at one of the translations this week. There's a theologian named DeHood who does some very interesting translations of the Hebrew. And it's interesting, he did, and did not let my foe rejoice over me. And the word foe, he capitalized. And did not let my foe rejoice over me. So that puts a bit of a different twist on it. So not my foes. You can think of who are your foes. Who, who are the foes of this psalmist? Who are the enemies of, of this the psalmist? psalmist? Why, Why does, does he, he say that? that? You did, did not, not let, let my foes rejoice over me. But if we change it to not let my foe, not let this foe, my foe, capital F. And so then that's a different story. So who is the foe of your life? Remember the mom of a person I used to sing with a whole lot used to work down on the line at a factory down in the Queensway. And it was just working on the line. Things kept coming by. That's what her job was for years and years and years. But she had some folk there who, who didn't treat her all that well. And you're there for many years. Well, those people are there for a long time, too. And that kind of dynamic was going on all that time. The foe. Who was her foe? She could name a few. But, of course, for us also, there's the evil one. The evil one who does not want you to succeed. The evil one who wants you to have a miserable life. Who wants you to end in destruction as the prayer of our artist friend prayed. So we have that foe as well. Who is that great foe? So the psalmist begins with that text. But it begins with praise. As I noted before, this is what's called a because of text. Psalmist praises God because he has been rescued. And if you look at verse 3, it seems once again to have been severe illness. O Lord, you brought me up from my soul, you brought my soul from Sheol, from Hades, from the pit, restored me to life from among those who have gone down to the pit. Someone who is very sick. Some have suggested that this might have a reference to Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, who, remember, was very sick, and he cried out to God for healing, and the Lord heard his cry and decided to give him 15 more years. It's very specific. I'll give you 15 more years of life. And Hezekiah was very happy over that. He praised God. So, you know, it could be something like that. Somebody's very ill, and they hear that, They've been healed, and they give praise to God because of text. goes on, sing praises to the Lord, O you his faithful ones, and give thanks for his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. We'll say more about that at the end. So he gives thanks because he has been rescued, and it flows into praise and gratitude. Gratitude for God's gift of healing. 
And James May here suggests that our praise and gratitude has to be specific, not generalities. He writes, prayer and praise, if they are to be authentic and vigorous, must have actual life as their subject and not hover carefully in generalities above the earth. Life must be experienced in relation to God, sought and received as from the Lord's hand. So the point there is if you're going to be praising and if you're going to be thanking, then the invitation is to be specific about that. How has God worked in your life and to be thankful for that specific reality? And not to be shy about saying that. God, the great creator of the universe, is interested in your life, has heard your cry, and now you are grateful for that. Classic text on that end is the story of the ten lepers. Remember that story? Ten lepers are healed, and only one decides to go back and give thanks to Jesus. Someone has said, one out of ten, and that's just about it for you and for me. We give thanks 10% of the time, and 90% of the time, we don't even think about it. So are we mindful? Do we go back and give thanks to God, to Christ, for his work in our lives, to thank him? And the idea is that there's, there's a circle. There's like the wheel, and there's a, a circle of gratitude. And something has happened, and you ask the Lord for healing or for help, whatever that might be, and God works. So we give thanks to the thanksgiver, I've written here. So there's a circle. It's completed. And if we don't give thanks, then we are not, giving, we are not completing the circle. It, it, it never finds closure. It just hangs out there. Will I thank God for his work in my life? Be grateful. Thanks to the thanksgiver. God is the thanksgiver in your life and my life. So that's where the psalmist begins. You can read that story, Luke 17, 18. So it begins then in praise. Text goes on, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you had established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face and I was dismayed. So what's going on here? He praises and then it seems like he pauses and he thinks back on his life and his own relationship to God. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. And the sense of it seems to be that the psalmist is starting to look at his life and his relationship with God is becoming a bit more distant. And he starts thinking about himself and what he or she has achieved. The prosperity that I've gained in my life. And he starts feeling like that he is the one who's being instrumental in all this and not God. By your favor, you had established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. All it takes is for God to just turn his head just a little bit. Just look over there. And all of a sudden, everything starts coming crashing down. I was dismayed. So the confession is, is that when things are going well, when we have prosperity, we can start getting careless. It seems to be that's what's happened with the psalmist. It leads to pride, to self-assurance. Things, things are going, going well. well. 
So how is it for you in your life? When, when, when do you cry out to God? When, when are you closest to God? You're closest to God when things are really tough and you have to yell for, Lord, be my helper, be my helper, I really need you. Or when things are going well, do you maintain a close relationship with God? Is that when you are grateful and happy and thankful? It's probably not totally consistent. It's probably not totally even. When are you thankful? When do you turn to God? Seems here for this psalmist, the psalmist gives praise to God when he cries out and God hears his prayer. He's rescued. And then when things calm down and everything's going good, seems like he gets a bit careless. Prosperity. We're told in Deuteronomy, Moses writes, Do not say to yourself, My power and the might of my own hand have gained me this wealth. When they're going to go into the promised land and things are going to go well for them. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, so that he may confirm his covenant that he has swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. I've mentioned before that Deuteronomy is considered the center of the Old Testament, and Deuteronomy chapter 6 to 8 are considered the center of Deuteronomy. So if that's the case, the fact that Moses wrote these words for us in that kernel, in that core bit, do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gained me this wealth, but remember the Lord your God. They're going to go into the promised land. They're going to defeat the enemies. They're going to finally have their own spot, their own place. Don't forget me. And of course, that's a challenge for us. It's, it's easy for us to take God for granted. And when the spokes start changing, how are we in terms of our relationship with God? When I was thinking about this, I thought, well, how is this going to actually resonate? Because maybe you don't think that you have any prosperity. <laughs> if you're going to describe your life, maybe that would be the last thing you would say. I am in prosperous times. Maybe you wouldn't say that. So then how does this psalm resonate if you're not in prosperity? Then, of course, how does it resonate if you are? Here in Canada, on a global picture, we have a lot of prosperity compared to a lot of people. So how are our hearts in our prosperity? Do we forget God? Do we turn to God? Or you're sitting there and you're saying, man, I don't have any prosperity, so this whole bit's just totally irrelevant to my life. We can lose sight of God in our prosperity. Jesus says, and he ends his Sermon on the Mount with the famous parable, this is how he ends, how are you going to build your life? Do you build your land a life on sand that is sinking, that's shifting all the time on a beach? You can just imagine. You build castles, sand castles, and what happens? After a while, they're gone because the, the water starts coming in, sand's shifting. Or do you build on rock? I mean, that Jesus ends that way. Seems like a pretty basic story, right? But he seems to think, well, how are you building your life? How do you build your life right here? Whether you're in prosperity or not, do we turn to God, look to him or not? To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my death? It's the same argument as last week. 
What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? And then he cries out, Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. Be my helper. A lot of the sorrow songs Beth was talking about, they had that theme. Be my helper. So the person in crises, we can be in crises. But the crises is always an opportunity. There's an opportunity in that word. What do we do? Where do we go with our crises? Do we turn to God? Do we turn away from Him? So you can be in crisis at any age, right? You can be older. I have a funeral after the service today. Someone I've known for a long time, back right back to our first Royal York Baptist. A couple of kids, older kids. The dad has died. Has lived a full life, good long life. Knew the Lord, and in, in many ways, it's a very happy story. But still, when you talk to the family, the family is in their own situation. I'm talking to the three of them. Each of them, their response is different. Some, there's a measure of contentment. Others, there's a measure of challenge. How do we respond in crises? What's the opportunity for you and for me? The psalmist ends, Lord, be my helper. And Lamont says two types of prayer, thank you, thank you, thank you, God, or help me, help me, help me. So are we saying help me, help me, or are we saying thank you, thank you? It all depends what's going on. Lord, be my helper. Be my helper. Be my helper. Eve was called the helper to Adam. Helper. And God is called our helper. Same word. God is our helper. So we can help each other, and God is there for us to help us as we look to him. It's amazing, right? The God of the universe is our helper. Can we draw close to him? So that's the invitation. That's, that's all that's going on in the psalmist's mind here. There's this illness. He's touched. He's healed. And then he reflects back on his life. You know, God, I haven't always been so close to you. I've screwed up. I've got lost in my own self, my own thoughts. And maybe for years I've been away from you. And then finally there seems to be a turn, a change. And we end with a statement of praise again. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken my sackcloth off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Quite a change. So that my soul may praise you and not be silent. John read from Rahner, encounters with silence and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And so when we look at that, there's a lot of contrasts that are going on. Mourning to dancing, sackcloth and joy, praise and silence. The writer is an artist, he's creating this story of change. And then the symbolism of the clothes coming off. Uninhibited joy, change of clothing, 
representing an interchange. That's how it was looking. So what kind of change can happen in us, you know? God can change us no matter what, no matter where we're at, no matter what time or what span we are in in our lives, where we are at, what hour we are at. The beauty is we can go to God and we can be changed, even as the psalmist was changed. He had that whole time in the middle where he was just looking after himself, my prosperity. We have those years, you know, we have those years in the middle where somehow there are years of power. That's when, you, when you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Your job is pretty good. You're making pretty good income. Things are going all right. That's your power. Before that, you're working, you're striving. You wouldn't say that's power years. Finally, you hit your power years, and then the other side, it starts falling off. You're not in those power years anymore. Not in those years of same prosperity. And so what, what's going on in our mind, in our head, as we relate to God through all those changes? The psalmist says, I took off my sackcloth, took it off, put on new robes of praise, drawing close to God. Great image. Interesting also, verse 12, it says soul there. But the word is actually glory. That's the Hebrew word. So that my soul may praise you. If you have your Bibles, you'll note down in the corner, it'll say glory. So that my glory may praise you and not be silent. Writer changes it, so that my soul may praise you. And the point being is that your soul is your glory. Beth talked and preached a few weeks back, and she talked about Teresa Avila and our soul, Teresa described as a beautiful diamond, a perfect diamond. That's your soul. With inside you, there's this perfect diamond. That's it. And we get it all dirty and we get it all messed up. But it's really this beautiful diamond that can be shaped and polished and everything else. The psalmist says, my soul, my glory may praise you. That's a great idea. I mean, that change might change our lives if we thought we were filled with glory. Not just little old me, but my glory. God's given me that. So we look at this psalm as we finish these wintry psalms. Praise, confession, praise. Called to live dependently on God and not independently. Not going because of my prosperity and I forget. I mean, all we have to do is look at some of our politicians right around the world. And how proud they can be. And how it's all about themselves. It doesn't matter which continent. It seems to be all the same. And frequently they are older, and yet they still are thinking it's all about me. It's, it's kind of stupid, really. Heart of dependence and not independence. And ultimately that we are called to be signposts, no matter what time of the year we're working in. 
you know, the four seasons, four spiritual seasons, the seasons of our life. Winter season, spring season, summer season, fall season. And it all describes who we are in all of those seasons. And our invitation is help, to help people move towards love, really. Can we show them the way of love? Can they open up their lives to God in love? Our youth are on retreat this weekend, and this is my prayer for all of them. Can they open up their lives more and more to God in love? May they know God's love. Because if they know that, then they're going to know God's acceptance. They're going to know God is on their side, that he loves them. She loves him. God the divine. That's what we pray for them. We pray for all of ourselves that we might respond in love. And as all the winter psalms go, they, they point to Jesus. Jesus ultimately is our glory. Whenever we see in the text the, ref the references in the psalms to the dawn, to the morning, verse 5 here uses the reference in the NRSV to morning, but the word again is dawn. Every morning, every dawn, is a reminder of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and ultimately of resurrection life. That great getting up morning, Beth said, the writer says. The dawn speaks of resurrection life. Jesus is all about that, right? Jesus dies, he's our bridge so that we might have resurrection life. One life's not enough. To live forever, to know God, to walk with him, to have that hope and joy in our hearts and minds. Say, yeah, can we say amen to that? Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> are, you, are you happy about that? Uh, okay, good. Yes, the sun, the morning, resurrection life. This coming week, we start Lent. So we have seven weeks of Lent. We're going to switch to the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to follow and journey with Jesus, and that heads us all the way to Easter weekend. Good Friday into resurrection morning. So that is our new path. That's where we're going. And every dawn is a reminder of that truth and that reality. It would really be cool, right? There's a thing going around the Internet right now. Your life will change if you get up at 5 o'clock in the morning every day. See that? Have you, hey, man, do you do, do, you do that, 5 o'clock in the morning? I am not an early riser, unfortunately. I should be an early riser. But I take all these stupid meds, and the meds make you tired, and in the morning I'm sleepy. So then I have a hard time getting up, man. And then I miss out on the dawn. Like, it's too bad, right? Because the dawn is one of the best times of the day. See the sun rising. Woo! That star rising for us. Talking about hope, talking about resurrection. So if you get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, that's before dawn. I don't know what you're supposed to do at 5 o'clock in the morning, how that changes your life. I don't know, do you start, you get your journal out and you start making notes? I don't know what they want. But definitely you want to take in the dawn, right? That will change your life for sure. Every morning the dawn, yeah, that would be very cool. 
So maybe time through this Lenten season, maybe one time a week, we can get up early and catch the dawn. That might be doable. Maybe we could do that. Five o'clock, once a week. We'll write back on the blog. I will try it once a week. And I'll evaluate it and let you know how it goes, all right? That's my commitment. <laughs> anyway, God has done much for us. And we're invited to be thankful, to be thanks givers ourselves to our great thanksgiver, God in Christ and the life we have in him. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.